0: attention attention all personnel incoming podcast this is mash matters over and out it's mash matters the podcast celebrating the greatest television series of all time that would be mash the comedy that changed television you know, Jeff Maxwell, that would be a really good title for a documentary about MASH. MASH, the comedy that changed television, don't you think? No, mm, no, no. Let me think
1: about it. A comedy that changed television. You mean as a documentary? Yeah. What uh, do you think? The, the comedy that changed television. Yeah. Brilliant.
0: Thank you. Oh, Ryan, that's a great idea. And then what we could do is we could make the documentary and then we could air it on the Fox network. Okay. Say January 1st. Why not? People have partied and they're ready and they're they're relaxing and they're sitting
1: around watching TV. That's a perfect day to air uh, the comedy that changed television.
0: Oh, wait. What? What? I'm just now getting word. Uh Uh-huh. What? Somebody else has already made the documentary, and it's already scheduled to air on Fox on January 1st.
1: No, come on. You just thought of it, didn't you? I thought you just thought. I know. It's okay.
0: Hey, At least it's getting done, right? Yeah. I don't have to take the credit. I will give credit where credit is due. Yeah. And that is to our special guests today. Yeah. John Scheinfeld and our friend Dan Harrison. Yep. They are going to be talking today about a big documentary that is going to air on Fox on January 1st called MASH, the comedy that changed television. Well, that's an exciting thing.
1: <laughs> I, I'm, I'm so sorry, though, that you don't get the credit for this because I thought you had a perfect idea and you were going to go out and make the documentary. You could give me a job, you know. Hey, that's show business. Yeah, that's show business. Yeah. yeah this John Scheinfeld guy, he's a terrific filmmaker. I got to tell you, he has a company called Crew Neck Productions. So if anybody wants to know a lot of details about John Scheinfeld, go to Crew Neck Productions you can see all of the titles of all the documentaries he's made my goodness they're terrific and you'll really enjoy looking at the website and learning about john too and of course our good pal dan harrison he is an exec we don't know a lot of executives do we
0: no no he's the only executive vice president at fox that i know <laughs> Yeah. Or that will speak to us at all. And of all the executive vice presidents of Fox, I have to say, he is my favorite. <laughs> yes. yes. He, he is an
1: executive vice president for program planning and content strategy.
0: Wow. Yeah. How do you do that? <laughs> Goodness. And he's a friend of ours. How about that? Unbelievable. I hope that after you hear this, you'll know that this documentary that's coming out on January 1st is in very, very good hands. Very good hands. Yeah. Very true. So here is our conversation with John Sheinfeld and Dan Harrison.
1: Well, hey, thank you so much for being part of MASH Matters and for showing up here. And this is going to be a very interesting conversation because this is a very interesting situation and a very interesting uh, development in the life of the television show MASH. And so we have two wonderful guests here to talk about this, John Scheinfeld, who is actually the writer, producer, director, and Mr. Dan Harrison, who is an executive vice president at Fox. And it's wonderful to have you both here. You were both influential in the evolution of this project. Maybe one of you can say or start, John, you were, it's your project. What started this and who started it and how did this get off the ground?
2: Sure. Well, anyway, thanks for having me. Happy to be with you guys. About 10 years ago, I started to have a conversation with the uh, much esteemed and missed Burt Metcalf. Uh, Burt and Gene Reynolds had been mentors to me when I first got into show business and stayed my friends uh, all through the years. And uh, I'd started in the scripted world as an executive, programming executive, development executive, and then uh, writing pilots for drama shows, not one of which got made, (laughs) but I had a good time and got paid some money. But um, then I moved into documentaries about 23 years ago. And as I developed more of a profile, I was uh, able to go into places and pitch shows and they would take me seriously. And because of what Bert and Gene had meant to me, uh, I really wanted to do a documentary for them celebrating the show that they had so much achievement in terms of creating and perpetuating. So, I was talking to Bert and we were saying, yeah, you know, now's the time. There hasn't been a, a documentary about MASH in quite some years. And so, maybe now's the time. So, we, we cobbled some money together and we shot interviews with all the living MASH cast members. Uh, we shot uh, uh, interviews with uh, Alan and Mike and everybody. Bill and uh, Wayne died the next year. So, we did the last interviews with them that they had done on MASH. Wow. David did not want to do it. But we think he was ill at the time because he passed away not not all that long afterward. Um, We shot these interviews over a a period of several days here in Los Angeles. We also shot interviews with Bert and Gene Reynolds and Six of the writers. So, shot interviews with all of them. Then we went to New York and we shot interviews with Alan, Gary, and Loretta. All with the idea of putting together and selling a definitive documentary about MASH. And my concept was MASH has seen through the experiences of the people who made it. So we didn't want to interview a lot of experts talking about MASH or things like that. It's a much more intimate kind of approach. And then we couldn't sell it. We got, <laughs> we got close several times. We actually did sell it to CBS back around 2016, uh, but it was Les Moonvest that bought it. And then he got uh, uh, booted out of CBS and his successor didn't want to do it. So that sort of went by the wayside. And then every year or so, I would take it out and and talk to the new buyers and couldn't quite get any traction. We came close a little bit in in 2022 for the 50th anniversary, but ultimately, we weren't able to do it until Dan became our champion, and uh, he can pick up the story
3: from there. Mr. Harrison, the champion. Let's hear it. (laughs) Well, thanks for having me back uh, on MASH Matters. Sure. Uh, Fun to be with you guys again. And, uh, you know, I'd known about this project for a while. I talked to John and his partner, Andy, over a number of years about this. And, you know, we talked on and off. And with a need for programming on all networks during the last year due to some uh, strike issues, it was an opportunity to get this show going and put it on the air. I wanted to make this show, you know, with John and Andy for... Both the super fans who we know will find it and watch it and get to see some footage they've never seen and interviews they've never seen, but also for the casual fan who may not know that much about MASH. And it was important from my perspective that both audiences be entertained. So we gave it a green light for Fox. We're going to air it on New Year's Day from 8 to 10 p.m. And we're uh, very excited to bring MASH through John to an audience that loves the show and hopefully beyond.
2: One of the things that was so much fun for me was not like Dan, who is the super fan of all time, but I was a big fan of the show. knew the show. And of course, because of my relationship with Gene Reynolds and Burke Metcalf, I heard a lot of their stories over the years. Uh, But what was exciting was to meet all the esteemed cast members that I had seen, of course, for all those years, to meet and talk to them and and to be able to ask them any questions I wanted to about uh, their characters, about the evolution of the show, about their relationships with the other cast members. And so, these were really wonderful intimate interviews where they could really uh, express themselves about all of those kinds of things. And then the idea was to take those memories and find the best clips from the show to illustrate them. So uh, the people that are going to tune in on January 1st to see the show uh, will see a documentary jam-packed with clips from all 11 seasons of the show that best illustrate these stories uh, and points being made by the cast members. That uh, to me was a very exciting uh, way to approach this. Uh, we found a uh, interview, for example, with Fred Silverman, who was the uh, former president of CBS. But he was at CBS. He was the executive that bought Mash and put it on the air. And this was an interview that was done for the uh, Television Academy. He talks about uh, there were it was the perfect pilot, absolutely the perfect pilot that you didn't have to change anything. It totally uh, showed you what the the series was going to be about. But what he said was, what struck all of them at CBS was that it was these people, these interesting, fascinating characters that had been created for the show. That's why they felt people were going to tune in. And I think that had proved to be the case over the 11 years. And that's why I think people are going to find our show really interesting is through the eyes of these great, great characters that we're going to view the history of the show.
3: Mm Mm-hmm,
1: mm-hmm. You know, I think back... uh I wasn't there at the time, but I know that MASH was not enormously popular when it first hit the airwaves. It took about a year or so for them to get the right time slot so that everybody sort of would gravitate towards it. And once they did, all the things that you're talking about kind of kicked in. People went, wow, who are these people? What are they doing? Oh, I like the actors. I like the themes. I like all that stuff. Which is kind of neat
3: that it, thank goodness it happened because otherwise, you know, we may not be here today talking about this stuff. <laughs> yeah. I mean, MASH started on Sunday nights on CBS and it was the lowest rated show renewed from the 72, 73 season, which is why Larry wrote Divided We Stand as the first episode of the second season because it really acted as a second pilot. They used the visiting psychiatrist, not Sidney Friedman, to come and evaluate mash and it gave the audience away the audience who hadn't seen it to be introduced to mash and you know interestingly it was moved to what was in the early 70s considered to be a much better night and time slot which was saturday night today that's you know sort of tv's graveyard but saturday night was all in the family mash mary tyler moore bob newhart and carol burnett show Hmm, so you know mash then was a top 10 show for the remainder of its run, but it did take, you know, getting renewed after that first season for it to take off.
0: Well, plus Igor came on board in the second season and saved the show. Well,
3: that's
1: true. We don't want to really draw a correlation there, but let's face it.
0: That's a documentary in (laughs) itself
1: right there. Uh, Absolutely. Yes. The numbers do prove that. But anyway.
2: And, and not, not what Dan describes is not an unusual set of circumstances in in television. There are many, many shows that we now think of as classics, but they started off at the bottom of the ratings, like All in the Family. And uh, I worked for a company, uh, MTM, that did uh, Hill Street Blues and St. Elsewhere, and they both started at the, at the bottom of the ratings and slowly moved themselves up to where they are now viewed as classics. Uh, but MASH is in very good company in, in, in that regard. But from my point of view, the show really changed the way people watch television. It wasn't a sitcom. It wasn't a drama. It was uh, unique unto itself. And I think that is also one of the things that made it such a big hit is that it was so different and so unusual and people could really find in it many different textures, colors, flavors
3: that uh, were not available in other shows. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Yeah. One of the reasons MASH is on the Mount Rushmore of TV syndication is- That, you know, was a period piece, so it never goes out of style, right? The uniforms are the uniforms and the haircuts, of the 50s are the haircuts. And TV was very linear before MASH and even throughout the 70s. And the the story had a beginning, a middle, and end. And MASH really introduced multiple storylines throughout each episode. You see that sort of taken... You can draw a linear path from that to Seinfeld with all of its Mm. storylines. But MASH has stayed relevant has stayed popular it's still on you know me tv tv land it's on hulu you can buy it on itunes it's it's popular on every medium i mean 20th century fox which produced it used to say the sun never sets on a mash episode and they said that in the 70s when it was around the world and that is still true today in 2023 which is really amazing and fantastic so john when you are putting together a documentary of
0: mash you have 11 seasons and all these great interviews how do you boil all that down to a two-hour telecast I mean what what's the biggest challenge that you face when you're putting something like this together
2: wait <laughs> <laughs> we've been working seven day weeks uh, 24 hours a day uh, to put this together because uh, it all had to come together fairly quickly I'm joking but uh, you know, Ryan, uh, I look at a, a documentary very much uh, like a jigsaw puzzle. You open up the box, you dump out thousand pieces, and eventually you fit it together and it makes a very pretty picture. But those pieces only fit together one way. What we do as documentary filmmakers is you could put them together 10 ways, 20 ways, 100 ways, and it's how you fit those pieces together that, that make your documentary good, bad, or ugly. And the pieces for us are, yes, uh, excerpts from those interviews that we did, Uh, it's clips from the show, it's music, it's photographs, and it's also uh, unseen footage. So, we try to cast a very wide net for the best audiovisual material possible with which to tell our story. And in this case, the foundation really were these interviews. So I would go through and highlight the sound bites that that seemed to make the most sense to me in uh, in terms of telling stories or helping talk about the evolution of the show. And then once they would talk about something, so for example, they might talk about how they were cast or they might talk about the first few episodes they did, or they might talk about one character leaving and another character arriving. And uh, then we would, uh, my team and I would be going through every episode of MASH to find out the best clip to illustrate what's being said. And then we have Dan with us on our team who knows the show better than anyone. He was uh, very instrumental in suggesting particular episodes, particular scenes I don't think he has much of a life either, because I would text him at odd <laughs> times and say, "Dan, I need a I need a clip that like shows this. What do you think?" And like you know, ten thirty at night, he's texting me back with like four suggestions and stuff. So it, it really took a village here, but uh, so it's all of those elements. But I think uh, the 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 biggest challenge, Ryan, really, is to take all of those pieces and put them into a coherent narrative that people will watch and not see us working. They're not going to say, oh, well, why did they do that? Why did they do that that way? What we want to do is, is bring them in to watch the show, and it's a roller coaster for them until the end of it, and they don't really think much else about uh, what we're doing as much as they are thinking, wow, this is just really great. I'm laughing, I'm crying, whatever it might be.
0: I imagine, too, that you know once you put together the rough edit of something like this, you still have to uh, you have to figure out who to throw off the lifeboat, right? Because of, of time constraints, especially with network television, you have a certain time frame that you have to adhere to. You've already got it down to what you think is great, the cream of the crop, but you might still have to start cutting things out. How do you make those decisions?
2: Yeah, those are very tough. You know, it's it's why they pay us the small bucks just to, you know, <laughs> to make those tough decisions. You know, uh, I think because we we knew. We didn't have as much. Normally, I would take nine months to do something like this. We, we didn't have anywhere near that much time on this occasion. So we, we knew we had to be very critical uh, going into this in terms of what's in it or not. Our rough cut to ourselves was about 15 minutes long, which is great. Most of the time, my, my cuts could be a half hour long or 40 minutes long. And then it's a constant process of whittling down, molding and shaping and saying, well, you know, this is really good but it's kind of a little off story or it's not as important as this other thing that we need to get to. So it's kind of a constant process of doing that. And Dan came in and joined us uh, early on and and we looked at an early cut and he was saying, you know, that's a good clip, but um, well, actually, Dan, you should talk about what you saw. You know, he he was very helpful and so, well, you might be able to do better here. You might be able to do the better here. Why don't you talk a little bit about what you saw that first time,
3: Dan? Well, uh, you know, John has structured a really great show. It's, you know, opens up by introducing the characters and by the people who inhabited them. And so each character gets its due before you get into some milestone episodes and and other parts of the storytelling of the series. And, you know, there were areas where I think, you know, just my knowledge of the show added, you know, some depth to what Uh, John was doing and areas where I thought he could bring out some of the dimensionality of the characters a little bit more. I, I don't want to share anything or show the scenes of what John has done because I think the audience should have the pleasure and the privilege of seeing that on January 1st. But You know, it was definitely a collaborative process. And I think it's probably a little unusual to have somebody from the network who knows the show really well as a partner in this. But it was my privilege to be able to do this, uh, to work on this on behalf of Fox. And it was a personal pleasure because, as you guys know, and, you know, your audience knows what an unofficial historian I am of the show and what a depth of knowledge, you know, I'm able to bring to it. And so it was absolutely my pleasure to. John a little bit of the benefit of that, but I've no doubt John would have come up with a great show without me.
2: Nice of you to say, but not true. Anyway, we um, so in addition to the clips though, Ryan, what we were interested in doing was finding some footage that people had not seen, super fans or otherwise. With MASH, that's somewhat difficult because uh, it has such a history and a history on DVD and, and in other ways. A lot of the behind the scenes stuff has been seen in one way or another. Context is important and all of that. But because of the deal we made for clips, we were able to rummage around in the archive of 20th Television, which is now owned by Disney. And we found some pieces that had not been seen before. Wow! And we found some clever and creative ways uh, in which to use them. Uh, And so that became part of our arsenal as well. But basically, it's a tough choice you have to make because you have to fit into a definite time slot. When I do my theatrical documentaries, because we're in in theaters or streaming, uh, there's not a a prescribed length that we have to adhere to. We we could be 96 minutes, we could be 110 minutes, it doesn't matter. But for linear television and Fox, we have to be at a specific time length. So it really is a a challenge to get it down to length. And you have to make some tough decisions. And, And we've had to cut some things that are really worthy and really good and really funny and really poignant, but we had to go with things that we felt were a little stronger.
0: Well, you can just release like a seven-hour director's cut later, right? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> how, how many hours of
2: interviews did you have? Well, we did seven of the cast members. Uh, we did uh, six writers uh, who are not going to be represented in the show, maybe in bonus material, and we did the Burton Gene. So, I think we probably shot well over 20 hours of, of interviews with people. Goodness. Which, uh, as I say, was, was great fun and, and interesting and I hope we ask them some things they hadn't been asked, you know, a dozen times uh, or in the past, but they look great. They sound great. This is the way you would like to remember these people. Mm -hmm. They're a little older, not the age they are today, but um, they look and sound great. And I think your fans are going to find some really interesting insights uh, that perhaps they'd not heard before.
3: That would be terrific. It's all in HD. It looks fantastic. And yes, you know, there is a you know, time constraint to network television, of course, Masha had to adhere to that as well. But, you know, this was the opportunity for John to showcase this there, you know, I was happy to get this across the finish line with him and with Fox, but uh, I'm not sure it would have gotten to the screen otherwise. So, mm-hmm. you know, despite those constraints, there is a huge victory for fans and for people who want to learn more.
0: Dan what did you see in John when John brings this project to you what do you see in John that made you say yeah this is the guy to do this
3: well John obviously John had the material so it was you know an opportunity to take this new material shape it into a new special with a responsibility to Fox and to the audience I didn't necessarily want to do a 50th anniversary special I felt like that would be limiting and Could signal to a younger part of the audience, hey, this is some old dusty show. I'm not interested. So it was important to me. You know, I I thought that John had the right vision in terms of this is a documentary about MASH, as John said, through the eyes of the people who made it. And not a 50th anniversary celebration where we were going to, you know, force people into the Wayback Machine that they might find an obstacle. So to me, it was about how broad can we make the funnel and, you know, welcome in the audience and see if we can catch some new viewers in addition to the super fans. So we know, you know, it's it's a, it's still a good audience because there's MASH Matters, there's Mash Historian, there's Mash4077 TV.com, you know, there's Reddit and the Facebook group. So there's a lot of MASH fans who congregate all over the internet. We know we're gonna appeal to them with this, but we wanna get it as broad as possible. Make it as big a tent as possible.
2: Uh, And because a lot of the material has been seen before, it's as much about context as it is about anything else. It's how we weave all of this material together to tell a story uh, that I think is going to make people laugh, uh, but it's also going to move them. This is a very emotional show. We had Mike Farrell in a couple of days ago to see the cut. Uh, I just wanted to see if he had some thoughts about it. Were we missing something? Were we too balanced here or balanced there? And he was sitting. He and his wife came in, and they were sitting behind me. And you could just hear them laughing and then tearing up, particularly at our ending, which is a very emotional ending. So I think uh, I feel like we're in a good place here for this. But I also want to embarrass Jeff here for a minute. That's never been done before either. So. Uh,
3: not today. Not <laughs> yeah, today.
1: Yeah. At least not this morning.
3: For the simple
2: price of a breakfast, I was able to persuade him to give me access to all of his mashed photos. And uh, we found some wonderful photos in there to help us illustrate some of the stories. Particularly, we were very light on photos uh, of Gene. And uh, we found uh, a number of them in Jeff's collection. Uh, Jeff had these negatives, uh, uh, some of which have shown up in his wonderful book, but some had not been scanned before. So we scanned them all and were able to, uh, to pick and choose the best ones for us to use. And we've done this with a lot of people. Um, Bert Metcalf had a large collection of stuff that we have. Ryan, your friend, Eric White, had some great stuff that that we've used. And I uh, I was just on the phone the other day with uh, Arlene Aldo, hmm. who for like weeks has been searching for some photos that I want desperately and she could not find them. Oh, she goodness. took the set of... As time goes by, when she was there shooting the the very last few days, uh, but she finally found them and uh, <laughs> been nexting them. They're going to get here early next week, and we'll be able to work those in as well. So I'm really excited by all of this. I think it's a, a, a fine tribute to the people and the show that meant so much to me.
1: Well, for the price of breakfast, you got those wonderful shots of mine. Buy me dinner. Oh, boy, what you're going to get with that one. I'll tell you. <laughs> And, you know, speaking about audience, you know, certainly after this interview airs, you're going to have at least seven or eight people listening, uh, watching the show. So, right. Dan will be thrilled by
3: that. That's great. Hopefully with Nielsen boxes.
1: (laughs) 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 Wow. John, did you have any change of uh, opinions about anything from the time you started this in 2014 to 2023? Was there any spark there that you went, you know, wait a minute, this is a better thing. And I'm certain you, you know, you conferred with Dan and got other opinions, but did you personally have sort of a, a, hey, aha moment about it? It's a, a great
2: question, Jeff. The thing that impressed me the most that perhaps I didn't appreciate as much was just how brilliant the writers and the producers were in terms of Crafting episodes that had a different approach to the material. What I mean by that is, you, you you tune into a lot of comedy shows, and mostly it's just you know hijinks for this week, and it's usually the same kind of thing with just a different situation, which is why they call them situation comedies. Let's take our characters and put them in the mall, put them in a movie theater, put them in a restaurant, whatever. Well, what MASH did was to find so many different ways to tell a story, and I think I. I probably knew that at some level, but didn't really appreciate it as as greatly as I did after we started to watch all of these episodes. So, we have a a section of our documentary where we're talking about the, quote, experimental episodes, like point of view, where it was from the point of view of a patient. And that was rarely, if ever, done. Uh, The interview, of course, being a great experimental episode, different than any other episode. So, it was the variety of ways in which they told stories, I think, that was the biggest surprise for me.
1: Very interesting, yeah. Because those were certainly uh, wonderful examples of that experimental process that these these people were willing to go through and wanted to go through to kind of keep pushing the envelope and find what's there and look, you know, under this thing and say, hey, what's under there? Which I think everybody in the show had the actors, writers, producers, wherever they were all of that same
3: mind. You know, let's keep pushing, let's keep looking. Even the finale, in a sense, was experimental because. Most shows up to that point did not have a series finale. The expectation was shows would live on forever in syndication if they were successful. And so nobody wanted to, you know, truly bring a show to a close. And so the MASH finale was, in that sense, it was one of those groundbreaking episodes where it was the was the war was over.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah.
3: And most uh,
0: television series didn't end with a two and a half hour film either. <laughs> no.
2: Well, Burt Metcalf told me that uh, when they came up with this idea of uh, they wanted a definitive end to the series and a definitive end to the war, and he told me a story about how uh, uh, an executive from the studio came down to their offices and said, you can't do that. We don't want you to do that. And it's like, well, why? And and he brought up the example of the fugitive. Oh, Yes where they had a definite ending where they found the one-armed man that, that had killed the, the doctor's wife. And the doctor now was free to come back to uh, his life and exonerated from the charges and all of that. And this executive said, you know, when they did that, it killed the syndication sales of the fugitive. Because they knew the ending, nobody wanted to see all the episodes, which, A, I don't think was true anyway, because fugitive did pretty well in syndication. But Burton and Allen, all the particular, were very strong in terms of saying, no, we think America knows the Korean War ended. <laughs> we think we could tell that story you, and in fact that did
0: wait it did <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah i, I had no idea yeah,
1: well that's news here geez <laughs> the scoop yeah, <laughs> uh, interesting stuff. I, you know, I applaud both of you for number one coming up with the idea of doing it and hanging on to it long enough to actually see it. You know, see the light of day. So uh, you're both heroes for doing that. And you know, without you two,
2: probably it would not have gotten done. What Dan and I have said uh, uh, to each other one point is we really feel this is going to be the definitive look at Mash. And possibly the last. As, as everyone has gotten older, some have passed away, will continue to pass away. We've been able to, to get the recollections of the people who were there and be able to do something with them. And I, and I think that's going to make, uh, again, this a very important special. And, and, and we really hope people are going to tune into Fox on January 1st.
1: Well, you are a spectacular filmmaker because I've watched some of your documentaries and I'm, you know, I applaud you. You are just terrific. And the last one, I just saw the uh, documentary about uh, Elvis Presley. I urge everyone to watch that. I was not a fan of Elvis Presley. You know, I was uh, engaged. Oh, well, Elvis Presley and he's this, he's that as a personality, certainly. But I was never a fan of his particular talent, although I knew he was a talented man. I I just wasn't particularly, you know, didn't want to see it every day. And then I watched your documentary and by golly, that guy was good. (laughs) And your documentary showed that to me it showed me why he was good how he was good and what was so terrific about him beyond you know his physicality and what he did on the stage and jumping around this guy was a singer with tremendous power and soul in his his heart and the last song that he sings yeah. in that documentary is just unbelievably emotional and uh, i again i urge anybody to see that documentary as quickly as you can because it's wonderful
2: well nice of you to say hey, jeff yeah I- uh, it's called Reinventing Elvis, the 68 Comebacks on Paramount+. Plus. But like you, I, I did not grow up in an Elvis fan. I grew up a Beatles fan and Elvis was old news. Mm-hmm. But being able to spend time in this universe of Elvis and see the performances in this comeback special he did in 1968, it really was a revelation. Mm-hmm. You know, I'll tell you where, I know this is a MASH podcast, but I uh, just this is kind of how documentary filmmakers think sometimes. Uh, I was watching the local news here in Los Angeles and it was Elvis's birthday. And the weatherman comes out dressed as, you know, Las Vegas Elvis. Uh-huh. <laughs> White glitter jumpsuit, fake hair, fake sideburns. And he did the weather doing, hey. Thank you
0: very much. Thank you.
2: And I turned to my wife, Karen, and I just said, you know, this is what Elvis has become for some people. He's a cliche. He's a caricature. Mm-hmm. And I really wanted to do something that would reveal him more as a three dimensional human being that had genuine talent. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And you talk a bit about we we end on this very high emotional note, but that's something that I think characterizes the films that I make. Is It isn't just the facts, ma'am. This happened, this happened, this happened, this happened. We try to make people feel something. And as Dan alluded to earlier, we really have some emotion in this MASH documentary. It isn't just the stories and the facts. The way we fit things together are going to really make people feel something. And I think that's really important. You know, when you said that a
1: minute ago about MASH ends on a kind of an emotional note, and it's interesting that you're doing that as a filmmaker, you try and, you know, put that in every one of your films, which is wonderful.
2: You know, it's one thing to to deliver information, but it's it's another thing altogether to make people feel something about your subject. Yeah. Mash is one of those things Dan can tell you. You know, he he's heard this for years from fans and other people. This is a show that has generated those kinds of feelings from people, mm-hmm. and we really wanted to capture that in this special. It isn't just you know a laugh riot or whatever that you see with some of the shows. Uh, this had much more dimension and, and depth to it, and, and that's what we hope to capture in our special.
3: Mash was from an era of television where you'd have probably thirty million people watching an episode every week. You know, it was just a huge hit in every state in the country. There were no red states and blue states or coastal or midwestern. It was just a huge huge hit for 10 of its 11 seasons. You know, that's what we're celebrating here and that's what we hope to tap into in terms of generating an audience is is a, you know, desire for that kind of love of a television show.
2: And you know, you guys know this because you've done this podcast for a long time. Mash is a multi generational show. Sometimes a TV series is very much of its time and doesn't last beyond that, or doesn't last beyond that, uh, except for a very uh, small audience. Mike Farrell makes this point in our documentary about. He, he said back in when they were doing the show, he used to hear people say to him, "You know, I never watch TV, but I always watch Mash." <laughs> he said today. He hears people say, uh, not only do I watch it, but I watch it with my kids, I watch it with my grandkids, or I watch it with my parents. And it is that kind of a show that is truly timeless, that can appeal to people of all ages and all demographics. And that also makes this a very unique TV program. So what you're saying is MASH matters
0: exactly
2: Uh, i was waiting for one of you guys to say it i didn't want (laughs) to
1: absolutely (laughs) well ryan and i hear a lot of comments about mash because that's all we talk about on you know this podcast but Gosh, the, you know, we hear so many dramatic statements about, like you say, they watch it with their parents and, you know, they've lost a parent and now it's a very, you know, emotional issue for them or MASH impacted their lives tremendously by helping them, you know, seek out a career as a nurse or a doctor or something. Not as a food server. Nobody ever wanted to do that. I don't know why, but. (laughs) Some of us even a television executive. There you go. Yeah, And a television executive. Yeah. So we hear those stories constantly and they're very moving when, you know, I've done these autograph shows. You go out to various states and meet the fans face to face and there are tears in their eyes when they start talking about their experience watching a TV show. And we got to look at it. It was a TV show. But it is so important emotionally to so many millions of people. I'm sure that's what your show is going to tap into. And I personally can't wait to see it. And I know everybody who's listening to this can't wait to see it
2: either. We've got a moment like that, Jeff, from Gary Berghoff, who tells a story. I won't spoil it for for your audience, but he was doing a theater in, in a small town in Wisconsin. And uh, he was coming out of a restaurant on his, uh, f- from his meal and he was going to the theater and uh, a fan came up and said, may I speak with you for a moment? And he tells a story to Gary about what MASH meant to him and why it meant so much to him. And and we have a lot of stories like that. But And I think you've heard a lot of stories like that. And that's, again, what makes MASH just so unique. It was an amazing, amazing experience. I mean, the most yeah, amazing I experience. I can't imagine somebody having an epiphany or a major emotional response to Gilligan's Island.
3: <laughs>
2: <laughs> well, I know Ryan did. I don't know about the rest of
1: <laughs> No, just with Marianne. Uh, <laughs> okay. Not ginger. Right. Well, guys, gee, uh, you know, do either one of you have any last uh, things you'd like to say about the show or about yourselves or <laughs> <laughs> anything, anything you would like <laughs>
3: Well, we hope everybody will check it out on Fox uh, January 1. Yeah, eight o'clock.
2: That's right. I just I think I just would want to reiterate where this all started for me. And it was just to, to me as much as a tribute to the show. It's a tribute to my mentors, Gene Reynolds and Robert Matcalf, who were wonderful, wonderful men, cared deeply about what they did. And you see that in the shows that they produced. MASH first and foremost, they meant so much to me, and I'm so glad I could do this for them. The only thing that's really, really disappointing is they had passed away before we were able to get this going. Mm-hmm.
3: And of course, I, you know, as I think your audience knows, I feel the same way about Larry Gelbart and had that relationship with Larry. So yeah, you know, it's it's certainly an honor to be able to do that for the show.
2: Oh, and you know, we should say, guys, we should say I wanted everybody represented in this special, even those that had passed away before we shot those interviews nine years ago. So, we've searched high and wide, and we have found archival interviews with Larry Gelbart, with Harry Morgan, uh, with McLean Stevenson, with Larry Linville, and with David Ogden-Styers, and they all talk about their characters and what MASH meant to them. So, everybody is represented in this, uh, and that was important for us as well.
1: Wonderful
0: fantastic
1: well hey guys thank you so much uh dan you're such a good friend and a good friend to mash matters and we love you and appreciate what you've done here to help get this thing on
3: thank you love you guys too
1: yeah and john can't thank you enough for doing the podcast and for doing the uh the documentary i cannot wait to see it i'm very very excited it's going to be a wonderful show thanks so it's great being
0: with you thanks so much Thank you, Dan, and thank you, John. We hope you will tune in on January 1st for the uh, documentary MASH, The Comedy That Changed Television on Fox. I'm excited. I'm really looking forward to this. I am off the charts excited.
1: Very, very excited. And as you said, this documentary is in very good hands because John Scheinfeld is a heck of a filmmaker. So Mm -hmm. it's going to be an exciting, wonderful show. The Comedy That Changed Television... I'm thinking of doing one. It's going to be a drama. Mm. It's the assistant to change sheets for me. So, <laughs> I don't know. It
0: may be popular. It may not. I don't know. I thought you were going to go a different direction with changing something else, but that's no. okay. <laughs> that's for our, our late night audience. Yes. This is the, this is the children's version. Hey, we are going to take a break for the holidays, so uh, there will not be an episode coming out of Match Matters on January 1st, but that's okay because you're going to be so geared up to watch this documentary on Fox on January 1st that you won't need us on that day. But uh, we will be back January 15th uh, with a new episode. I hope everybody has a great holiday and a great new year, and we will see you in 2024.
1: Uh, Merry Christmas, Happy New Year, uh, Happy Kwanzaa, Happy Hanukkah, and happy everything else that I don't know the... (laughs) term for, and I hope everybody has a happy one. I'm looking forward to the new year, and Ryan, we are going to kick butt in 2024,
0: are we not? Oh, yes. 2024 is our year. Yes. We have no idea what we're going to do. None. But it's our year, by golly. Watch out. Watch out, everybody. (laughs) All right. Until next year, here's looking up your
2: old address.